Hello, you gorgeous beings. My name is Felicity Malay, and this is Fierce Gentle, the Courageous Voice podcast, where we reclaim voice, courage, and power through conversations and poetry. I want to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wandry people of the Kulin Nation, that this is and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello, you darling dingoes. I am here today with another episode of Fierce Gentle, and this is a really special and quite unique episode for me. It is a chat with a really close friend of mine, Sarah Stone, who I have known for just under a decade. And actually through this podcast and through a conversation that I had on Instagram, on social media, we decided to take a a really intimate and personal conversation we were having around competition and comparison and the judgments that we place on each other as women uh, and to take that conversation into the sphere of the podcast. It was Sarah's um, suggestion and I just think it was such an incredible and courageous thing to suggest and bring to the table that we did it. So I hope you enjoy the conversation that we had. I know I certainly did and for me it was healing and transformative in many ways to be able to sit down and have this conversation with someone and I hope that it has in some way a similar impact on you. Hello, hello beautiful. Hey, how are you going? Yes, I am going and I'm really, really grateful Mm. that you are here. to those of you who are listening, I am having a conversation today with my dear friend, Sarah Stone, who actually asked to be on an episode with me, asked to, to continue our conversation that we were already having as a recorded conversation. So I'm going to give a bit of a pre, uh, like a, a, a pre-ramble about how this conversation came about uh, before Sarah and I start chatting. I made a post a few days ago about... Um, about in response to something I'd seen where women were saying online that women showing their bodies is not an act of empowerment, is an act of perpetuating uh, the patriarchy, doing what men want of us already. And I wrote this big rant about slut shaming and about how um, as women, whatever we do will be perpetuating the patriarchy because we get told so many paradoxes and it's not about what we do but why we do it and we need to stop competing and comparing and ripping each other down and uh, the wonderful Sarah here replied to something that I'd said and I thanked her for her participation in my life uh, for me to look at this stuff at the bullshit in my life as a woman (laughs) Um, and she private messaged me back and was like what do you mean? And we started this great conversation. And Mm. during the conversation, Sarah was like, this would make a great podcast. So here we are. That's the backstory. Mm. Sarah, why don't you give us a backstory on who you are Mm. before we have our conversation? Yeah, sure. So (sighs) I knew you were going to ask me this question and it sparked anxiety in me because I was like, who am I in the context of 18 months of lockdowns? I was like, I am a person. I feel like, and and Felicity asked me to write a bio, and I was like, how does a person write a bio when they are imaginal cells inside like a chrysalis? I was like, I don't know. I'm like a gooey, sloppy, like delicious, like pile of imaginal cells. Anyway, um, I I am a body worker. I am a queer person. I am a neurodiverse person. Um, I am a dirt worshipper. So a huge part of my life is spending time with the more than human world, listening, learning, being in rapture. Um, Yeah, and I work at a wildlife shelter. So I spend a lot of time with animals including my own domestic animal, my dog, Cedar. So those are some of the things that are coming to my mind in this moment. Mm. Yes. Can I introduce you how I know you as well? Yes, please. All right. So when I met Sarah, which was probably 
about nine years ago. Yeah, mm. nine years ago is when I first got to Australia. You were this to me, and this I think is really going to introduce our conversation beautifully. <laughs> is you were this like hyper bubbly, hyper vibrant, hyper sexy, hyper sensual human, um, and I loved and hated it. And, I, and that's really what we're here to talk about mm. is my journey and our journey with, as women, with perceiving other women in this way and um, what that does, you know, to our, to our relationships. Mm. Um, I have a great memory of you and me at the 101 Vagina exhibition, mm. um, just like lushing on each other dancing I think there's some photographs even there of us are. just like I, I just, know exactly the photographs yeah yeah and I, I had a huge crush on you and then I got into a relationship that where I wasn't feeling good about myself mm. and the relationship was quite toxic and my love for you switched into competi- competing against you mm. very quickly in my mind and in my heart and um and I was aware of it and I was, you know, as much as we can be. But I find that I think that this is something that I travel with every single day of my life and it's something that we don't talk about. And I love that you wanted to talk about it. So I want to know what inspired you to ask this conversation mm. to come into this this format. Mm. So in a brief, and thank you, thank you for offering that um, hyper all the things um, perspective that made me feel warm and tingly inside. It was very cute and sweet and accurate of me 10 years ago and me um, now still. <laughs> so the reason I wanted to have this conversation with you is, and a little backstory, initially when I reached out, it was because I had seen you write, I am a queer person, I am a neurodiverse person and I am a woman. And it was a sentence that encapsulates me that I haven't had the courage to say on, um, in the online world yet. And I have full body goosebumps. So I felt, I just felt so, I don't, I felt seen in you saying that. And I just felt so connected to you in that moment. And that's what made me reach out to you in private message. And that's what started this conversation. Um, and from when I first met you, I also had a massive crush on you. And what I did was, I know, here we are 10 years later. It could have been great, Lacey. <laughs> Doesn't this just epitomise, like, femme-on-femme femme attraction? It's like, uh, yeah, I, know, yeah, I had right? a me, like, 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> right. Um, but I had pedestaled you. So I had seen this person who I thought was so creative and so inspiring and, um, and really you helped me to find myself as a performance poet and really helped me catalyze this new journey of finding myself as an artist in Melbourne, which is because we met when I very first moved to Melbourne. Um, and so I took you and I was like, fleecy is amazing. I'm going to put fleecy up here. And what do we do when we pedestal people? Like what goes on a pedestal? Um, a memorial, like an obelisk, something that we worship, like, like someone who has died and we want to memorialize them. Um, we put them on a pedestal and so it creates this separation and it also like, I had this thought, like turns you into cement forever in into one thing that then has no dynamism and I can't interact with because I've put you up there. So once I pedestaled you, it was very, very hard, even though, and we've stopped, but I'm going to keep talking because hopefully like it'll just, um, yeah, good. Yeah, I can um, still hear you. That's fine. Good, good. So even though we saw each other continuously, we had a phase of, of living quite close, but because I had pedestaled you and put you over there, it was very, very hard to bridge that gap. And mm-hmm. I'm feeling now within myself this recognition of that and a desire to like kick all those pedestals off and let you be the ever-changing, ever-shifting, very alive human that you are, that I am still inspired by, but I can actually relate to because I haven't 
put you up there or if we judge people and put them down there or over there. Um, and it's something that's come up a lot for me in terms of, of this separation that happens when people judge each other or, or specifically for me, it's when people tell me they're intimidated by me, which happens so much. And, and me wanting to, to know how to navigate that in a, in a good way, because there are so many different ways to navigate that. It's quite a popular conversation in the conscious community, for lack of a better word. Um, and I feel like there are a lot of holes in that conversation that I'm curious about. And so that was what led me to thinking that this would make a great episode to talk about how do we navigate this? How do we bridge that gap? How do we come back into connection? And how do we stop it from happening? Um, mm -hmm. Because ultimately, I want to be a person who is hypersensual, hyperactive, hypercreative, and also someone who helps raise other people up rather than them feeling fearful of my expression because I'm not going to lie, I'm so sensitive and someone being intimidated really hurts my feelings. Like mm -hmm. I don't want to intimidate people. And so, I, yeah, that's, that's why we're here to talk about that. Mm, mm. Mm. I can absolutely relate to that because I have been told that I intimidate people too. Mm. Um, I've also been very intimidated by other women and mm. I actually clicked onto it maybe like, well, in my early 20s, it became really, really apparent to me what was going on. And it was when I saw a woman who I perceived to be a powerhouse or strong or, or inspiring in some way. And we would, we would hit each other like, um, like knuckle to knuckle, you know, like this, for those who can't see the, uh, the video, it's like my hands coming together and my knuckles hitting each other. Right. And we would butt heads. And I realized that these women were always women that I could actually have the most incredible relationship with because I found them really, really inspiring and challenging at the same time. And what I started to do was to name it with those people, was to sit down with them and go, hey, look, I noticed that we have this dynamic where we keep butting heads with each other. Uh, and I think it's because you're really, really incredible. And I'm seeing that in you and it's challenging me. And I would love to just actually be your friend. <laughs> I would love to be friends with you. And what I found is I developed some of the most incredible friendships through that because very rarely on the other side was that woman wanting to be intimidating. Mm. Well, they, they were never wanting to have a battle with me and they were usually feeling something really similar on the other side mm. or they were so used to being pedestaled in that way and put into this position of being intimidating that they were just, when they felt somebody else doing it, they would, um, they'd close off mm. because, because it hurts and they mm. don't want to, they don't they want to deal with that. It's like mm. bullshit that they don't want to deal with. Right. Mm. So, so I found myself in both sides of that situation as well. And you're right. It is something that I think happens a lot. And I personally think it, like, I mean, I hate to bring everything back to the patriarchy, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I really feel like I was raised to constantly compete and compare myself against other women. And mm. that means that I'm, whenever I look at another woman, I don't just see this sister who is another me what I see is either uh, either someone I have to compete against or someone, someone I have to put myself above or below in some way. And therefore I'm having to constantly do that work inside myself to unpack those pedestals that you're mm. talking about. Um, but I don't think that is a conversation that's happening as much. Mm. And I really believe that actually it's the, the one we talk about when I talk about patriarchal systems and breaking down patriarchal systems, one of the primary places that I have to do that in my life every single day is how I look at and perceive other women. And am I putting bullshit on them mm. that keeps them small mm. and keeps me small mm. as well? Yeah. And so what are some of the examples in your life? So you've said, you know, you were raised influenced by the patriarchy to compare and compete with women, how did that show up 
as you were being raised in your childhood? Oh, my God. I mean, the main thing that comes to me is because I was such a media kid, right? I watched mm-hmm. TV all the time, right? So really any TV show that we look at, Clueless, okay? Mm-hmm. show I loved it, a movie I loved as a kid. All of those kind of 90s, late 80s and early 90s TV shows aimed at girls involved some kind of girl-on-girl um, bitch fest, basically, like people competing and comparing against each other. There was always the social hierarchy placements, the cool girl and then the uncool girl and then the uncool girl who, you know, something happens and suddenly she takes her glasses off and she's pretty and now she can be a cool girl. You know, these these bullshit stories that get told out that instantly tell us from a very young age Mm. that is how socialising with other women works. It's actually really rare to see in those old medias, aside from like the one bestie, there's sometimes the one bestie who like you're like bang on with each other. But pretty much always there is situations played out where the women are not there to look at and support and care for each other. Mm. They're there to compete against each other. And then we look at um, the representation of women's voices in media and we look at movies and you, there's that, it's not the Bechamel test. I always think it's Bechamel, but that's a source. But it's something like that where, <laughs> where they where they looked at how many movies um, passed this test and the test was do two women talk to each other at any point in the movie about something other than men? And there wasn't many movies that passed that. Women would talk to men about things that weren't to do with men, but not two women wouldn't talk to each other about something other than guys. And for me, we, we say, oh, that's just in the movies, though. It doesn't really affect us. But we are built. We're built by our culture around yeah. us. And I watch my child watching movies and watching shows, and I see her picking up the social dynamics that she's learning from those situations. And that is what I was taught in, in those ways. Um, and then we see it from other people around us in our lives because it's not just our generation. This is something that has been taught generationally for hundreds of years. And so we watch every other woman in our life doing it. And and it's heartbreaking. Mm. You know, we see our parents doing it. We see our, our aunties doing it. We see our friends doing it. We see, you know, it, it's just there mm. constantly. And... Um, and even like the subtle, like the slut shaming is a big one. So I was brought up with someone in my life who would look at other women and be like, and fat shame them or, or body shame them or, or clothing shame them or, you know, all of this stuff that would come up like, oh my God, I can't believe she's wearing that. And I used to do that. I'd go out in the car, in the back seat of the car as a young teenager and I'd look at girls walking around my hometown and they'd be wearing mini skirts at night and I'd be like, oh. She's wearing that. She's cold. She's so stupid. Mm-hmm. Rather than, and I remember the day that I had this realization where I looked at that, a woman who was dressed in that way, and I was like, oh my God, she looks like she's having a really good time. Mm. She looks like she's really enjoying her outfit. And I would never wear an outfit like that. And I wonder if I'm just spiteful because I don't have the confidence or feel like mm. I could identify as myself wearing an outfit like that. Mm. And that's what's going on. I'm projecting my stuff on that woman (sighs) and how unfair of me is that to do that to Mm. her yeah yeah I hear that and when you mentioned that I was like I still do that when I see women wearing the teeny tiny but what I see is and it's purely my own perception but I see and this happens often a group of women and it's cold right um and I see a group of women wearing tiny little dresses and very, very high heels and it doesn't, and it doesn't look comfortable. Maybe they're stoked. Maybe they're having the best time. This is purely my perception. And then I'll see a few guys and they're wearing their pants and their jackets and they're chilling. And I'm like, it it frustrates me because there's this idea that to go out clubbing, this is the context in which I see these outfits is um, that this is the outfit that needs to be worn. And so it's just, it's, it's both. And, and, and so I, yeah, I, I see that happening in myself where I am judging someone for what they're wearing and I'm questioning also why are they wearing it Mm. and and are they comfortable? Um, And Mm. I actually do remember I'm so obnoxious, but one (laughs) night out 
very 4am all out on the streets, I encouraged a young woman to throw her giant high heels in the bin. And we were celebrating. I don't know how she felt about it in the morning, but I had just stopped her on the street. We're both intoxicated. And I had stopped her on the street and I just asked her if she was comfortable. I was like, you know, you look great. Are you comfortable? And she's like, no, I look like have very sore feet. I was like, you should just throw your shoes in the bin. I really acknowledge how obnoxious I am right now. This is many years ago. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And so she threw them in the bin and we were like standing around the bin cheering at her throwing. I wish I could talk to her now. Um, but it was a funny I, moment. I hear that. I hear that story and I don't, I actually, I feel like if, if you did what you just said you did, mm. that's beautiful. You, you, you know, you approached her and you said, mm. you look amazing. Are you comfortable? Mm. And you start with a question rather than with a judgment. Because mm. if you'd gone over there and gone like, you must be so uncomfortable in these shoes. Why don't you just take them off and throw them in the bin? Mm. Like that's an attack. Mm. Whereas going in and saying, hey, you look amazing. Are you comfortable in those shoes? Like a real question. And mm. her going, no, I'm not. Mm. That is a conversation between two women acknowledging the absurdity of cultural expectations and norms and the things that we do. Cause it's absurd what we do. I yeah. do things that are absurd. Sometimes I like, I shave bits of my body and I'm like, ow, this is, this is not comfortable. Why mm. am I doing this? So, you know, mm. and, and there are times I do it because I really love doing mm. it, but there are also, you know, there are absurd things that we do as women that we are normalized and socialized to do that mm. aren't comfortable, that aren't good for us and do, and then are there <clears> because they have been perpetuated by a system that wants to make money out of us, basically mm. wants to profit from us. And I don't think it's wrong to question those things, but I think that even if I see a woman walking down the street who looks really uncomfortable in her clothing choices and her clothing choices fit, you know, some standard of what, what we expect women to wear when they're clothing, I can judge her or I can take a step further back and go, wow, it is fucked that we are still living in a society that makes women feel like they have to be uncomfortable to be beautiful or to be worthy. Mm. And that that's where I want to start focusing my my frustrations is no longer at people because I do the stuff too, mm. you know. I do the judging and I also do shit that is like absurd. Like, please, what are you doing? <laughs> like, why are you why are you spending all this time doing this? Mm. Um, and and really, the, the and this for me is is the is the the big part of it is we 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 haven't we, we're not doing that as women we're not stepping back and looking at the bigger picture we're looking at each other and and ripping each other down uh so often mm. and it's like it doesn't help anyone because I feel like if I rip you down for the way that you act when like so let's go back nine years ago and you're like expressing your flirty beautiful bubbly self that one day I find attractive and the next day suddenly I'm competing mm. against you for doing exactly the same stuff that you were doing you know two days before if I'm there ripping you down for what you're doing and the way you're being I'm doing that to myself too there's no way that next time I flirt the part of me isn't going to be shaming myself mm. for doing it because I've just shamed you for mm. it and so I feel like every time we fire on each other we we fire on ourselves mm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I also was reflecting on this and recognising that that, and I'm curious to know, Felicity, what happened within you that the shift went from one day that was celebrated and the next day it wasn't because I can go from one day I'm celebrating a person because I am feeling centered and deeply rooted in my own personal expression and sense of self. And the reason it's been challenging for me lately, um, feeling, hearing people being intimidated by me and being told that I'm too much, which is a whole other it's actually not a whole other. It's very much wrapped up in this in this conversation, um, but it's a messaging that I've received my entire life that sometimes bounces off me. But when I'm not centered and rooted in myself and my expression and my body, that throws me right off, um, and and it hurts and it makes me doubt myself and it makes my sense of self worth drop. Um, and I really, 
yeah, it's, it's really a moment by moment thing. And also if you have a menstrual cycle, when I'm premenstrual or when I'm bleeding, I am defenseless to those, those sorts of things. So there's cyclical aspects and, and when I'm hungry and when I'm tired and when I'm stressed, I'm really susceptible to those sorts of things. So I think a question that I ask myself when I find myself, not all the time, a question that I'm learning to ask myself when I find myself judging is like, am I in my center and what do I need to do to come back into my center? Um, because that's how I'm going to feel better about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what happened for you when you went from like one day it was celebrated and one day it was judged or shamed? Mm, I am. And that's a really great question. I I agree with you in all those things for me. It's like whatever's going on for me and myself can really, really impact it. And another thing in my honesty, and as someone who's lived a polyamorous lifestyle, uh, it is really hard to own is that if I'm in a relationship, usually with a man and a cis man, my jealousy comes up, right? A lot. And that is where it's, and it's because that's where it's been so deeply ingrained in me my whole life. Um, that I am, if I, if I have a man, therefore he is my man, Mm. therefore he can't be her man. Therefore any other woman is trying to get my man, because that's what we see in the movie. Mm. Again, it's what we've been brought up with. How many movies and shows are centered around two women battling over one man? Mm -hmm. It's absurd. Um, and, but the other part of it is that I went into a really toxic relationship as well. I think. And so my sense of worth was really impacted by that. But that wasn't what kicked off my worth issues. It definitely added to it. But I already had the self-worth issues because we are told our whole lives how unworthy we are and therefore we have to, you know, prove our worth and therefore we have to battle for our worth and therefore we compete against each other. And so for me, when I feel that stuff coming up, like you, I have to kind of look and go, well, what's going on for me right now? Why do I feel so unstable in my own worth right now that I'm having to do this to other people? Um, And sometimes I'm like, I'm not unstable in my own worth, you know, like I don't want to admit it to myself. But it's there. It's always going to be there at the root of it because that stuff doesn't go away. And like you say, there just are times when we are more able to do the processing and to do the kind of regulation in ourselves that we need to do and there are times that we just can't do that regulation because it's everywhere we're doing so many other things and this one is one of those core things that we have to regulate that's constantly there and so when we start to loot you know if, if for example if I'm in my luteal phase where I get like all kinds of emotional stuff coming up in my my menstrual cycle that's a really hard one for me to deal with. Self-worth mm. is like the core one that I come back to. Mm. So absolutely. Um, I want to ask just because I'm really enjoying seeing your face on the video mm. for those of you who can't hear, see um, we're on video, but your, your eyes are kind of cut off the screen at my end. Could you move your face? Could you move the camera so up a tiny bit so I can see your is eyes as well? There. Perfect. Okay, Boom. Oh, so good. Great. I'd hate for people to miss out on your face. Um, it's a beautiful face. And um, there is, I think, and let's talk, though, to this next point that you brought up because it is so deeply connected about the too much story, mm. right? Now, I I think I have a really, I don't know, I don't know, my, I, have, I have big contradicting thoughts about too much, mm-hmm. the too much story. And, um, and at the moment, the big, big conversation is like, you can't tell me I'm too much. Okay. I'm me. Um, and, and there's so much truth in it. The amount of women that have been told and that they were too much when they were younger, okay. that have had to like crush parts of ourselves. Right. So I want to hear your story with too much mm. and, and, and yeah. And to so tell me, tell me your story cool. with too much. All right. I feel very excited to hear about your contradicting ideas around this because I also, um, but I will answer your question and tell you my story about too much, um, which feels really big. So let me take a moment to see how I can synthesize it. Mm. Mm. Because I, so 
my entire life, I have ADHD and I've only recently had the courage to be diagnosed and to really dive into what that means for me. And so as of the last six months to a year or so, I have a whole new lens of how to look at the too much um, and a whole new sense of compassion for myself and the people around me looking at it from a neurological perspective of what's going on in my brain and why. And at the same time, I don't deserve to be shamed about it. Um, and the messaging that I have received my entire life is that I am too loud, too distracted, too talkative, you know, a process of the diagnosis was to go through my old school reports. And I felt so sad for little me that it was like, you have so much potential. If only you would focus, if only you would stop chatting, if only, you know, and I was like, I was doing the things that my soul deeply desired, connecting with other humans, wanting to be in my body and move and wanting to express myself. And so from a, from a very early age, the mentors and teachers in my life were saying, be smaller, be smaller, focus, like go in like this and just really like giving me the crunch. And my mum too, you know, if we're out in public and I remember one time, I, um, and I'd just come back from South America and I had learned to spin poi and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I wanted to spin poi all the time. And, um, I was walking with my mom down the street spinning my poi and she just got very angry and she was very embarrassed. And she's like, Sarah, there are, oh my God, I do her voice so well. There are people around and you know, this is, this is something like this is not acceptable. And I was like, okay, I think we were actually in the Botanic Gardens, which to me is a very acceptable place to spin point. Um, but it's just this continuous barrage of messages throughout my entire life that I'm too much. And, and I, I hear it still recently from a housemate and, um, and multiple housemates because I've share housed a lot that I'm too much. And sometimes I am. And I can recognize that and I can hear that. And if someone can come to me in a compassionate way and say, actually, um, you're speaking really fast right now. Could you slow down for me? Or actually I'm not in the space, especially in shared spaces because energetically I'm also very big and can be very uncontained and I can have extreme emotional dysregulation issues. So I can go from very calm to like intensely angry and like smashing a bin because I dropped the thing I was trying to put into the bin. Um, and that's startling for people that's real. And so if someone, you know, can say to me, actually, I really need you to not do that. That's, that's challenging for me. I can hear that and I can do my best to work on it. Um, and I have, trained myself to close doors quietly and I have trained myself to walk quietly upstairs. I'm not always very good at it because I am generally a very loud person. So I recognize that in a world where I have to live in relationship with people, there are ways, um, that I do need to, um, simmer my sources and to be in relationship with people. And the thing about it is it's the way that the person responds and they're not always going to be able to say that because sometimes mm -hmm. it's reactive or sometimes it's subversive and it's passive aggression that builds up mm -hmm. depending on where they're at and what their level of comfort is within themselves and what their stories around too muchness are. Perhaps they had a sibling mm -hmm. that took all, because I was the sibling of my three siblings that took up all the space, like fucking all of it, you know? And, um, and for siblings of people who have, have siblings that are, are a lot, they might have a different response. You know, there's so many layers to this conversation, but at the core, I want to know that there are spaces where I can go, where I can be fucking everything. 
And for me, I found that on dance floors. Um, and the fact that I haven't had that place for the last 18 months due to continual lockdowns, I can see how that directly impacts my ability to be able to stay strong in the face of someone telling me I'm too much because I don't have these places where I can go and be all of me. Like I need to mm. be all of me sometimes. And I have a lover mm. who he just loves everything and all of my allness and all of my bigness and with him, it's so great. Um, and yeah, it's really important to have places to be able to express all the bigness and also have an awareness around the fact that it's not always appropriate. And that if I can have mm. reasonable conversations with people, we can work together to adjust what makes everyone feel safe. Mm. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Mm. Yeah. I was told a lot that I was too much mm. as a kid as well. Um, I was told that I was uh, trying to be the center of attention mm -hmm. all the time. And it really crushed a big part of me. It really did. And now as an adult, I definitely still have my too muchness. <laughs> definitely do. Um, and I'm also sat with this paradigm of also being hypersensitive to, um, I'm, I have um, in my neurodiversity, I have a, a hypersensorial overwhelm. Mm. So sounds, smells, um, demands on my attention at the same time, um, movement, all of this stuff, when there's too much of it around me, puts me into like hyper stress mode very quickly. I go from like absolutely chill to like deep in the red very quickly. Um, and so I, I, I've been really sitting with this discussion and this, this kind of um, social discussion that's been going on around that I was, you know, not that long ago was well and truly on the like, I'm not too much. You just have to deal with me kind of side of life. And, um, and sitting with that feeling of like, oh, so where is, because I think, and I think the, the contradicting thing that I was talking about actually is, and you kind of talk to it in your own way, is that a lot of people have this conversation in a really binary way. Mm. It, I feel like a lot of the conversation is often left out. Um, we focus on either you're too much or no, I'm not too much. Mm. You need to just deal with it. And they're the only, they're the only extremes that happen. And for me, there needs to be, it needs to be a much more nuanced conversation than that because absolutely no one should feel shamed for their genuine expression of who they are if that expression isn't hurting other people. I just don't think shame in general works, mm. but especially if their expression isn't hurting other people. Mm. Um, as the sibling of an of a ADHD child, sometimes that really did hurt people <laughs> because kids are kids. Mm -hmm. But um, I still don't think shaming works. I don't. And at the same time, I'm trying to work out where my brain is going with this. It's got to have that nuance in it because especially when we're talking about sharing living spaces, this is where it really comes in deep, right? Sharing living spaces with each other. And my brain goes, I, I know now that I'm a highly sensitive person in my own home that smells. Well, like when I haven't been in my apartment, because I go between mine and my partner's apartment all the time. And if I haven't been in my apartment for, for like a day and I go in and it doesn't smell like me, I feel angry. You know, I feel lost, I feel confused, I feel angry, I feel unsettled. Um, and sometimes I feel nauseous. It gives me nausea as well, like physiological responses. So there, I have certain needs in my living space and I've lived with, and I'm a big person, I take up a lot of space. So I'm kind of both the things. I'm the too much and the too sensitive <laughs> in the same house, right? So I've kind of becoming to realise that there's very few people that I can actually live with that works for me and very even fewer people that can live with me <laughs> because I'm the too much. Right. And so I think that, but then, so then my brain goes, okay, well then, you know, the, the answer is simple. Just like, 
you, if we need to be our own selves in our own homes, then we have to create living situations that support that. Mm. Because like, if you feel like you need to be all the much whenever you want to be, live in your own home by yourself. But what that doesn't then take into account is the the classism or economicism that is connected in with that, you know, because I know that you and me, me anyway, until like at this point in my life where I'm now living with my partner where we do live really well together most of the time, I have not been in an economic position where I can actually do that for myself. And so it's a really... um, yeah, I think it's, it's so nuanced, this conversation, and I don't think that that nuance is really ever invited into the conversation. Mm. Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought that piece up um, because I agree, um, and I, I saw something that very much aggravated me, and I also um, just want to say I hear you on the sensitivity thing and a lot of uh, a lot of what people don't know about neurodiversity is that there is too much on all levels. There is too much output. The reason I can output so much is because the input is everything that you just said about the smells, the sounds, you know, that everything, there is so much coming in all the time that one of the reasons that we have to, or that I have to put out so much is just so that I can balance the input and the output. So I hear you on the sensitivity piece. And I read in terms of that, of that finding the nuance in this conversation, I read a quote that angered me to my soul and it took me a little bit to realize why I was so angry about it. And it said, I will not water myself down to make me more digestible for you. You can choke. And I don't know who said it. Someone else had posted it on their, on their wall and I read it and I became so angry. I was like, what is this? And I also get angry at this piece. And this happened to me a lot in the past, like not necessarily like personally, but I would hear people having this conversation and it's the hand on the heart and the, that's a projection and it is not my responsibility to deal with your emotions. And that pisses me off just as much Absolutely. as you can choke thing because it's just another like huge disconnection. And both of those responses, there will be times that they are appropriate. Absolutely. There will be times when I can put my hand on my heart to someone else who I don't know very well and say, actually, your response to my expression is not my problem. So it depends on who we're talking to, but both of those still like don't leave any space for that nuanced conversation of, of bringing in curiosity and compassion to what is actually happening here between these two people. And, mm-hmm. and that's what it comes down to for me is having curiosity and compassion for the other person having curiosity and compassion for myself because I'm not always going to take lightly to being told that I am intimidating or too much, even though sometimes people think calling me intimidating is a compliment. I don't know if you've ever had this. They think that, (laughs) wow, you're so epic. I'm really intimidated by you. And I'm like, cool. Like, thanks. Someone wrote that to me on my birthday card this year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm intimidated by you, but that's because you're really cool and da, da, da. And I'm just like, thanks. Um, <laughs> where do we go from? It's kind of like, where do we go from there, you know? And mm. and I think that comes down to, I was having an amazing conversation with my housemate who loves me and is okay with all of my muchness. <laughs> um, and she said that, she gets really annoyed when people say you're so wise. And we had a conversation about why that is frustrating. And she said, it's like a full stop. It's like, I'm talking about mm-hmm. something that's really interesting to me. I'm, I'm offering an insight. And then the other person says, you're so wise. And rather than continuing that curiosity or continuing that train of thought, it's a full stop that stops the connection. And that made a light bulb go off for me as well with that thing of, of like you're intimidating or you're 
too much or you're you're so great, it puts a full stop. And I don't know if I've gone on like a tangent too far away from that, but yeah, it's the same. It's like a full stop when what we need to do is dive into those undercurrents of what's in that middle space rather than Mm -hmm. the the hand on the heart or the you can choke and see what's Mm -hmm. in there. Mm. And um, from, and this is actually how we ended up, the, if I remember correctly, your thought process in our little voice chats that we were doing before is you said, you know, it just needs to be this like, it's the fierce gentle fleecy, it's the fierce gentle. And I was like, yeah, it is because the boundaries are really needed mm. on both sides. The boundaries are really needed. One side, the, my boundary could be, like I have a boundary in my house where we, I can't have garlic in the house. It, I just can't because I will vomit or faint, literally. And it, I find it, it really impacts my living, my capacity to live in a small home, especially if there is garlic being used in the house. So my boundary when I was looking for housemates is the boundary is you can't have garlic in the house. And also if you have onion, you have to like cook it when I'm not there and open up all the doors and windows and have all the fans on because I'm hypersensitive to it. Now that's a boundary that I lay out before I move in with people. But then, you know, somebody else's boundary could be on the, on the flip side of it is, is like, well, the other boundary could, could be like, if you, I need you to communicate to me my too muchness in a way that is caring and compassionate. Right. So it might be that, like, Fleecy, your needs, you have too many needs in your hypersensitivity, but that needs to be communicated to me in a way that is compassionate and caring and, 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 you know, welcomes that connection, like you say, welcomes connection, whereas quite often, like you say, it builds up Mm. and we communicate in passive aggression. And for me, passive aggression is one of the worst forms of communication Mm. because nobody wins. When there's passive aggression happening, nobody comes out of it good. It, it doesn't serve anybody. It is a way of trying to communicate something without actually saying what it is you want to say. Mm-hmm. It's how can I say this without having to actually say it? Mm-hmm. And it means that we can't own that we said what we said, but also we've already said it, so we can't say it again, mm-hmm. right? Otherwise we start to like, we do it sometimes we do say it again and then it gets worse. And then the person who said it said to them can't own that it upsets them or hurts them or has impacted them because it hasn't actually been said, but it has been said, which is when you get situations where someone goes, oh, that really hurts. And they go, don't be stupid. I was just joking. Mm. Right. And so it's like such a damaging, damaging form of communication. And that's just come up for me. So the tangent, speaking of tangents, that's a total tangent off of our conversation. (laughs) But I think it, what I'm leaning back into is this, this idea that like, how do we then have these conversations and how do we then create, because we have to live together as humans in this world, right? And we're all these complex bubbles of intersections of different traumas and, and experiences and identities that kind of walk away, walk around the world, bumping our little trauma bubbles on each other. And like, how do we have, how do we then live together in a way that is so demanded of us in this day and age when we don't have necessarily for example that economic privilege of just going well I'm just going to buy my own home then or live in my own home or in my own home that's fine like how do we move forward and have these nuanced conversations Mm. yeah it's a it's a big question (laughs) I'm like I want the answers Lacey I want, I want answers. Um, do you have answers? I do. And you can sign up to my course. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. I actually literally, before we jumped on the call, I was like, do you know what feels relaxing to me right now? I don't have any answers going into this conversation and I don't have any courses or any, like any offerings that I've got right now. I'm like literally just going on for a chat and it's so relaxing. Um, but I think I did, I do have a, I do have a, Oh, it's gone now. I did have an answer to that in a way. It might come back. Um, I, I do, I do have answers. 
I do have tools and techniques for those conversations, <laughs> absolutely. But for me, those tools and those techniques that I apply and work with only can only work hand in hand with absolute compassion and understanding for the complex nature that being a human is and I think we try I think we want we always want like the ultimate like give me the step-by-step program and tells me on how to communicate perfectly every single time so I'll never ever find myself in one of these difficult conversations again Mm. and it's like no the point is the difficult conversations the point is that we will fuck up Mm -hmm. over and over again and that we will piss people off and that we will we will misread a situation Mm -hmm. and how can we learn to have those conversations better and how can we learn to be really fucking gentle with ourselves Mm. when we have been out of integrity or when we have or when somebody has said something to us that triggers our like tells us that we're intimidating and then we feel triggered how do we care and love for ourselves in those things because yes there are so many Mm. techniques and on a serious note that is what I do in my course Mm. right that is what I do but none of that is going to work if we aren't prepared to to fail basically and to know that that's okay Mm -hmm. yeah that's my that's my thing that's my part that's a good that's 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 a good that's a good answer and as an addition to that something that just came up for me and is also having the courage to walk away and recognize when sometimes we cannot have that conversation because the other person is not willing to go into that same level of compassion and self-responsibility. And that's, for me, the hardest bit because I deeply want everyone to feel heard and everyone to take self-responsibility and for us all to have this, like, balance. I have a Libra moon for anyone who knows um, (laughs) astrology. And... Sometimes there are incompatibilities with the too muchness Mm. and that's okay. Mm. And sometimes we have to walk away and recognize that things are not going to be solvable. And that, that piece is really devastating for me to be completely honest, because I, for such a long time, naively went about the world feeling like every single lesion could be fixed and solved and, and, and it can't. And so mm. that's, that's also a piece as well. It's like having compassion for those lesions that, that can't be fixed between two people. Um, and mm. that I have to take away and be like, okay, I have to tend to this by myself because I'm not going to be able to come to a conclusion with this person and and that's going to have to be okay because that's all I've got to work with and that could be said Mm. for I live in a small town I live in it's it can be quite conservative and there are just ways that I cannot be in especially Mm. in online spaces in this community without being Mm. attacked like quite Mm. seriously. So it's, Mm. that's been a very tricky piece for me um, because there's no way that I can have a compassionate, kind um, communication with some old mate, freaking whatever her name is. That's yeah. Um, I'm going on a tangent (laughs) now, but it's very multi-layered. So for me, this looks at, and this is something that we talk about in Rise, it's like one of the base parts of it is a safety zone, comfort zone, and unsafe zone, right? If we live in our comfort zone, if we live in the comfort zone, we don't grow, we don't change. So comfort zone might be every time you have a, 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 a housemate that you disagree with, you lock yourself in your room, find a new home, move house next week, done right? Comfort zone, easy. Don't have to deal with that shit. Um, But then you have, there's like this, what we often do, I feel like, is we jump from, from comfort zone into fuck, I'm unsafe as soon as we leave our comfort zone. And I believe that there's this like gradient scale of like what's comfortable 
than what's uncomfortable but safe. And that's where these conversations live, I think, the, the conversations that we need to have um, and the conversations that we should be having. As soon as those conversations kind of drift out towards the unsafe, mm. which are the conversations that you're talking about, mm. um, we shouldn't have them. They're unsafe. Mm. We don't We don't go there. We don't go there for our own safety. And for me, I see that when I think about, you know, this idea of authentically expressing expressing who we are there are parts of myself that don't belong in certain spaces. So when I'm working with youth, I'm not going to talk about my erotic poetry and my love of kink. You know, that's not, that's not the place for it. Um, if I'm, if I'm working in like schools and stuff, it's not, that's not the place for that side of my life to exist there. Uh, it doesn't mean that I'm hiding that part of my life. It just means that that's not the appropriate part of place for me and for my own safety and for other people's safety. And so therefore, it, it, for me, a big part of it has been about reframing this idea that I'm having to hide parts of myself yeah. to, no, I'm, I'm choosing what is appropriate in what spaces yeah. and it is all me and I own and love all of it yeah. and I will find, the like you said earlier, about the dance floor, I will find the places yeah. in my life where I can put all of me, all these parts of me, so they can live and I can live them without shame mm. and know that when I don't express a part of myself in a certain place, it's not because of shame but because of safety, mm. which is a different core point for me. Mm. I love that. That really helped in terms of the personal frustrations I'm having in this community and the recognition of how important it is that we have spaces to fully express all the different aspects of ourselves because if we don't have those spaces then that crunch happens and it feels like the entire world doesn't want or isn't it's not appropriate to express anywhere but it's not that at all. Mm. It's just that we haven't actively found those places where we can express and be seen and be held in a safe way. And I mm. think that's really the huge problem for a lot of people that wouldn't even know that that's the problem. They wouldn't even know, A, there's a part of myself that is yearning to be expressed, they wouldn't necessarily have the tools or recognition to be able to know what that part is, to even be able to mm. seek out a space or a community to express that. And then that kind of folds in on itself and goes back into shaming other people when they see that expressed. And I've seen myself do that. I look at other people and they're expressing themselves in a way that I deeply want to. And if I haven't recognized that, I just feel uncomfortable and judgmental and so mm. that kind of brings us full circle in a way of like the the answer really is to find those places within ourselves that are deeply longing to be seen and held and loved and expressed fully in a safe way mm. do that mm. and don't do it at IGA <laughs> or do but you know you, there's going to be repercussions yeah, and you need to be ready for that and, you know Exactly. Do it with with an understanding of of the consequences yeah. of your actions yeah. and welcome those consequences. And I think that you know if we're going to go back full circle because we are coming to the end of mm. our conversation time now, that going back to our you know the the, the things that we've overviewed and, and how women and we as women do pedestal and we compete and we compare and we rip each other down. And for me then it feels like there's two branches that I need to look at when I feel those things. And one of them is what is going on inside me right now to feel like that that is, that is the voice that I need to use on other people. And then the second part of it is, is the one that goes, um, what if I remove it from her? And I take it into the, into the bigger picture of, you know, when you were talking about the shoes, you know, it's not always about that person. When we when we attack that person, we forget that we're all actually kind of victims of a system that has taught us to do certain things. And I think when I have those two mindsets, I can have my ferocity and I can have my anger and I can aim it at a place where it's well and truly deserved and my frustrations and I can have my compassion and my care and my love and also my own introspection with myself as well. And I think the, the fierce gentle comes in in both those, you know, it comes into when we look at ourselves too, like actually what is going on for me right now, Felicity, to make you feel like this and to make mm. you treat other people like that, that's not okay. And that the fierce gentle lives there as well. 
Yeah. And I love that because a lot of the time when that piece around people being intimidated by me comes up, I'm not necessarily just frustrated at them. I'm frustrated at a society Mm. and an ideology that means that I can't live in my full expression without intimidating someone because I want us, Mm. I don't want to be alone on the dance floor, like cutting sick by myself. I want, like, and I'm so often out there by myself. I want everybody out there. It's like, yes, I'm taking up all the space because the space is there to be taken up, but it doesn't mean don't come and join that space with me. And so it's like Mm. taking, I love that that concept of taking it bigger and being like, Mm. okay, it's not necessarily about just this person, but, but what is the society that is creating this response to expression and power and bigness mm. and, and how can we shift mm. that? And I think mm. that's what these conversations are doing and that's what your work is doing and that's what I see you doing mm. in, in the way that you write and the way that you express and the way that you show up in the world. Um, so mm. thank you for doing that mm. because it's so fucking needed. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. I didn't know if I was or not. I feel like I am. I've sworn so many times already. Okay, great. I probably have to. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you for saying that. And I want to thank you. I feel like we're coming to the end of our conversation because we're going into our gratitude. So I'm going to bring this in now. Um, for the courage that you had, and this is that living in that discomfort area, right? That uncomfortable space of conversations that are needed. When you said, tell me, okay, you said that fleecy. Now tell me more. Can I, Will you tell me more about that? Why, did, why are you saying that I have my presence in your life has supported you to look at all this bullshit that interests me. And I want to know because that is such a vulnerable thing to ask. And it's such a courageous question to bring in. And it's, it was full of, of, of inquiry. And I love that about you and the whole way through this conversation, how much you've come at it with Fleecy, I want to know your, this inquiry and questioning that you bring in. Um, so thank you for doing that and for, you know, trusting me with that vulnerability and that inquiry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. It did feel vulnerable and it did take courage to ask that. And I'm so glad I, I did because that's one of the ways that we bridge the gap. And, mm. you know, rather than the pedestal of, wow, you're so great. It, I love your art. I can ask a question of like, tell me about your art. What does it mean mm. to you? And that Mm. opens a doorway of connection rather than pushing away. And it's, it's, it's a good thing to do. Mm. And I I still, it can still be, wow, you're so great. And I love your art, but it doesn't have to be, wow, you're so great. That means you're up there. Mm. It's like, wow, I'm looking into your eyes right now and we're side by side Mm. and we are friends and I love your art. I love what you do. Mm. And that for me is how we, you know, I've been, my brain's been saying like, hex the patriarchy, lift a woman up. Like that is my, that is my internal phrase that goes with this. Like, like, you know, if we really want to break down these systems that keep us small, we have to start, we have to stop keeping each other small, including ourselves. We have to stop pedestalling and ourselves or other people against each other, especially as women. And so when you say to me, you, I love your art, I don't, I'm, I'm, I, I refuse to put myself on a pedestal above you as an artist or as a woman. Mm. I will put myself beside you mm. in that. And I refuse to put you below me mm. when you say that. I will put you beside me or put, to put you above me mm. when you say that. I will commit to putting you by my side mm. um, as a fellow incredibly inspiring human. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, let's um, just stand on the ground looking at each other and recognizing each other in all our Mm. impossibly complex human dynamics. Yeah. It's, it's so, it's so impossible and it's so complex. And I think that that for me is where the juice lies. Mm. That is one of the reasons why I love you because you're so in there with that. (laughs) Oh yeah. I love it in the impossibly complex wouldn't have it any other way <laughs> okay beauty i'm gonna um close up this recording so thank you so much yeah, for joining thanks, me Wendy. and for those of, for those of you who are listening um 
I, if, if I will ask Sarah what it is that, that they want to share about themselves and I will put that in the, in the show notes below. So if you want to have a look, um, and if there's nothing there, that's fine. Maybe Sarah doesn't want to share that stuff, but if they do, then it'll be there. And, um, and that's all I have to say really. Mm. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah. Thanks Lacey. You've been listening to Fierce, Gentle, The Courageous Voice podcast, hosted by myself, Fleecy Malay, and music and editing done by Rory McDougall. If there's anything you've heard in this podcast that you like the idea of, check out the show notes below for links. And if you want to see this podcast continuing, please consider joining me over on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Fleecy. 